Well, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of Hebrews chapter 4. But I want to read the chapter before that so that we get the context. It's a short chapter, but it's important. Just a, a bit of background, the, the letter to Hebrews, uh, many have thought it was probably written by Paul. Others contend that maybe it was Barnabas or someone else. He doesn't explicitly identify himself. But what we do know is he was writing to a group of Jewish Christians. They had grown up in the covenant, adhering to the ceremonial law of Moses, identifying themselves as sons and daughters of Abraham. Then they had turned to Christ, and they had rested in Him. But now, afflicted by the ones against whom Paul wrote in Galatians 3, the Judaizers, they were being hard-pressed to go back to the ceremonial law, to go back to the sacrifices and the symbols that were practiced in the temple. And the whole book of Hebrews goes to demonstrate that that is the wrong thing to do because Christ has fulfilled all of that ceremonial law. Christ has fulfilled all of those shadows that we're looking forward and, and He has brought the reality, the truth, the fulfillment. And it's in that context that he talks in our text about the Sabbath. But listen to the background. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the, the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. 
For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. Again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God has, uh, did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy and undoubted word. Beloved saints of God, through the work of Christ alone, Five centuries ago, God stirred up leaders in the church to call the saints back onto the path of His truth revealed in Scripture. As we noted before, at the heart of that message of the Reformation was a recognition of God's absolute sovereignty and His absolute grace in our salvation. But that restoration to orthodoxy Folks, it impacted far more than the church's doctrine of salvation. The Reformation impacted everything. Our worship, our child-rearing, our education, our labor, our marriages, all of it underwent a radical transformation because of the truth that was restored to the church in that age of the Reformation. And that included the church's observance of the Lord's Day, the Sabbath of the New Covenant era. Calvin, Ursinus, Bucer, Knox, all of them emphasized the importance of honoring the fourth commandment by celebrating the weekly Sabbath. But that emphasis was not merely a call to embrace an outward piety, nor was it a calling that stood separate from their emphasis on salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Their keeping of the Sabbath was intimately interwoven with those central doctrines and utterly essential. But God used those men to restore to the church an understanding of our salvation. A restoration of the church's love for the Sabbath was inevitable because the Sabbath is wrapped up in what it essentially stands for. The Sabbath is wrapped up in the result of what Jesus came to do. And no text demonstrates that more clearly that I know of than Hebrews 4. Here in this text we learn that God employs the Sabbath in order to offer His people true rest. And that's our theme this evening. God employs the Sabbath in order to offer His people true rest. And our text begins teaching us that lesson First, by highlighting the warning example of Israel's unbelief, which is what we see really in the first two verses. Chapter starts with a therefore. That's why we had to read chapter 3, so that we could see what that therefore referred to. Chapter 3 showed us how, how Moses was great 
he was rightly esteemed by the Jews because he was a faithful servant over God's house. And God's house is the people of God, the people he's called by his name. Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God, but Jesus, he's the one who built the house. He's the son. So he's even greater than Moses. Therefore, we need to trust in Jesus who fulfilled all that Moses came to do. But then chapter 3 quotes Psalm 95, a warning against hardening our hearts against God and testing Him, against, against ignoring God's judgment which will fall upon those who do not trust in Jesus. Chapter 3 reminds the church, those who test God, those who rebel against Him by not trusting entirely in Christ, they will not enter God's rest. And that brings us to the start of our text and its warning. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. The apostle calls them to fear. It's a call for, for self-evaluation. Where am I standing and what am I trusting? What is my end? The consequence they, might, they must fear is that that any among them would fail to enter, fail to receive the rest that God alone can provide. What that rest is, is not initially specified, but it's clear that to lose it is to lose something essential. So what is that rest? Well, God has promised His people that He would bless them and that their rest would be in Him. That's what He promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's what Joseph looked forward to from Egypt. It's what Moses longed for. But in the days of Moses, the people rejected God's promise. They chose not to keep their heads and their hearts focused on Him, preferring instead to focus on their comfort or their fear or their lack or their desire. In focusing on those things rather than on God. Focusing on the moment rather than God's overarching blessing. The people embraced rebellion. And the same temptation lurked before the people to whom Hebrews was written. So the apostle warns them, you must fear missing out on that rest that God would give you. You must long to enjoy for yourselves not momentary satisfaction, not approval in the eyes of men, but the rest that only God can provide. And to emphasize that lesson, the apostle further explores the example and the sin of old Israel. In the wilderness, Israel was called to keep its eye on God's promise of rest. Rest from their slavery back in Egypt. Rest from the journey when they came to their permanent home. Rest from all that afflicted them, even their sin. Understand, this promise of rest, it's not merely about physical rest from their labor. It's not merely about the land to which God was bringing them. Verse 2 shows us that the rest that he promised them ultimately is it's the promise of the gospel. It was about his promise to be their God and to make them his people. It's about his promise to show them mercy that would forgive them their sins and establish them righteous in his sight by what he alone could do. It's about giving them a rest from all of their enemies who hate God them because they hate God. The rest that they were to expect from God is, it's ultimately peace. Peace with God, peace with man, peace with oneself. Ultimately, God's promise to them was the gospel promise to us, spoken in advance. 
But that promise didn't profit Israel because they refused to receive it by faith. Instead of trusting God to do what He promised, they chose to rely in their own strength. They chose to rely in the strength of Moses. They chose to wish for the strength of Egypt. But they refused to trust in God alone, constantly doubting His ability. Recognize the Sabbath rest. The weekly Sabbath was given as a symbol of a far greater rest. On the seventh day of creation, God ceased from His creative labors. He rested from that work of bringing about something new. Rested from from bringing new life into the world. And in the wilderness, He called His people likewise to fear. He wasn't calling them to be passive or idle. But He was calling them rather to reject the temptation to try to create that which is new of themselves. He's calling His people to look to Him for their provision, for their help, for their rest. Think about when He gave the manna. He said every morning you go out and you collect all you're going to need for the day, but on on the day before the Sabbath you collect twice as much, which meant that He would provide twice as much so that they would have enough on the Sabbath without, without having to work. But some people didn't trust him. They didn't believe him. Maybe they didn't believe, some of them, that there was going to be enough out there. So they only collected enough for today. And they went hungry on the Sabbath because he had promised them he wasn't going to give it to them on that day. And others, others thought, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to wait. I like it fresh. But God had told them, I will provide amply for you the day before the Sabbath so that you will be able to rest, fully, completely rest on the Sabbath day. And those who trusted Him were well fed, while those who refused, those who remained in unbelief, they starved. Israel of old rejected God's Sabbath rest because they wanted to rely on themselves. They wanted to be in control. And so they refused to rest in the Lord. That same temptation was afflicting the church to which Hebrews was written. They too were tempted to trust in themselves. That they might accomplish the things that would justify them. That they might earn their place with God. They didn't just want to trust Jesus and leave it all up to Him. No, they wanted to have an active role in making themselves right with God. And so they were tempted to reject the rest that God was offering them in Christ. That very same temptation, frankly, took over the church in the latter Middle Ages. During the Middle Ages, men came to trust more and more in the provision of the flesh. In part, that was because God's Word had been taken from them. It wasn't being faithfully preached. They weren't being taught to read. The the Word wasn't being adequately reproduced. And so it was stolen from before their eyes. And as a result, they began to trust more and more on the work of the priests and of the sacrifice, or the sacraments and of the, the rites of the church and the pronouncements of its bishops. They began to, to look to their own works, their works of penance, their works of, of merit, their works of supererogation, they called them, that would somehow overcome their works of sin and merit their righteousness in the sight of God. But what they were really doing was replacing faith in Christ alone with faith in mere sinful 
men. The reformers, having studied God's word, they warned the church, you must fear lest you lose out on the rest that Christ alone can provide for you. They called God's people to put their faith not in the priests, but in the one who had entrusted to the priests his word. To put their faith not in the sacraments, but in the one one whom the sacraments reveal. To put their faith not in their own faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of the perfect one. They called God's people to trust God. Because those trusting in men were, were answering God's gospel promise of rest with unbelief. And so they would miss out on the only true rest that is to be found. And because they saw how essential this lesson was, the reformers emphasized the weekly Sabbath rest. The Middle Ages saw men living in a deep cloud of fear and doubt and unbelief. The priests were always calling for more donations, more masses, more works. Always the goal was held out. You must work. You must attain. You must strive. And correspondingly, the Sabbath day became less and less significant to them. Men were too focused on on working, earning, attaining something with God. And frankly, every time they walked into the church building, they were reminded of how far short they fell and how much more they, they had to do. There was nothing restful about going to gather with the saints. But the reformers, they answered that anxiety by calling them to come and to rest. Not to work, not to attain, not to earn, but to rest in Christ alone. Folks, we need to hear that today. It is no accident. Hear this. It is no accident that the observance of the Sabbath in the American church is at an absolute low ebb today. The practice of the church blends in with the practice of the world because the conviction of the church matches the convictions of the world. The world says, to thine own self be true, and the church in America says, yep, absolutely. God says, keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on my holy Sabbath, and the church says, we don't have time for that. That's my time. That's mine. And so they lose out on the true rest they could have because of their unbelief, because of their selfishness. In every age, that temptation rises up anew. But brothers and sisters, we must see that if we are relying on anything or anyone other than Christ to provide our rest, we are lost. That is why we need to cherish the Sabbath rest that God gives us each week. The Sabbath reminds us (coughs) our rest is in Christ alone. It's not my unending work that pays the bills, but God. It's not my countless activities that blesses my family, but God. It's not the multiplication of meetings and projects that gives me hope. It is the Lord. Jesus alone, received through faith, gives us rest, both for this life and for eternity. And that leads us to our second point. It's not enough to be warned against. We must be led unto. And this too God does in this text with the ongoing offer of the Sabbath rest. The heart of the Sabbath by nature is rest. Shabbat means to rest. The the primary word in Hebrews 4, the most distinct word is Catapausis, it means rest, to cease from labor, to rest. 
That word katapausis and its synonym anapausis are found throughout the Greek translations of the Old Testament in the texts that speak of how Israel was to mark the Sabbath day. They were to rest. In Genesis, not Genesis, Exodus 31, verse 15, those words play a prominent role where it says, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. A couple chapters later on, he says, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day is to be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. And so it is in a number of passages, Leviticus 23, Exodus 16, and on and on and on. God made it plain to Israel that he wanted them regularly to celebrate a Sabbath rest. Not just to refresh the body, though that's nice. But to teach them that God alone is able to provide for them, is able to rightly order their life, is able to give them that which will comfort and sustain them. The Sabbath was given, folks, the Sabbath was given to teach us, to teach God's people in every age that if we are to have rest, if we are to have comfort, it must come by submitting to the Lord. Therefore, the Sabbath could be celebrated properly, truly, only by faith. We who have believed, we who have faith, do enter that rest. Keeping the fourth commandment, folks, it wasn't ever just about ceasing from labor. It was a matter of trusting in God alone. Trusting in Him to provide for now. Think about it. You're not going to, you're not, going to not work for an entire day, one day out of seven, if you don't think that God's going to provide for your needs, especially if you're, you're reliant on the work of your hands to, to get stuff ready to get to the marketplace, to get stuff ready to go and sell so that you can have money to go and buy. You're not going to give up that whole day unless you trust that the Lord can provide in the six remaining. And unless you believe that He needs to be your priority. That was the calling of the Sabbath then. That is the calling of the Sabbath now to submit ourselves to God, to acknowledge that He's the one in control, that He is the source of all our good, all our blessing, and that therefore we owe Him our everything. If He wants one day out of every week, it's His. Israel missed out on that rest. They came short because of their unbelief. Verse 6 says, Those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Verse 7 says they hardened their hearts. Verse 8 says Joshua was unable to give them rest. But nonetheless, God continued to offer the rest that his people needed and that all men need. The offer continues to rise up to us. Practically, personally, we, can, we consider that offer. We're confronted by that offer of rest every time the Sabbath day dawns. But also eschatologically, our hearts our hearts recognize that eternity is real, that we will live forever. And we long for rest from our sin. We long for rest from the brokenness of this world. We long for rest from our struggle. Our hearts cry out for that Sabbath rest that is true and effective and unending. And each time the Sabbath day dawns, God sets the Sabbath before us and shows us where to turn that we might receive it. 
Along with that offer comes his call. For those who have been trusting in themselves, the call is one to repent. Turn away from relying on yourselves and trust in the Lord. Trust in Christ. And for those who have been trusting in Christ, the call is rest. Strengthen your faith in him and rest. On the seventh day, God rested from his works. That doesn't mean that he was lazy or passive. It means that his new accomplishments would cease. And so he calls his people to enter his rest, not by becoming lazy or passive. On the Sabbath day, he calls us to be quite active, setting aside our normal work that we might come and engage in the work together of worship, the work of studying God's word, the work of fellowship and mutual encouragement, the work of building one another up. No sin to take a nap too. But the heart of the Sabbath is resting together in Christ. But not only one day out of seven. Also throughout our spiritual life, the Sabbath is to fill us, to orient us toward that rest that we have in Christ so that all of our life might be characterized by resting in Christ. Even when we're tremendously physically active, our hearts are resting in Christ to make it all effective and good. And you see, that's the heart of the Sabbath. God wants us to find our rest, not in ourselves, not in our culture, not in our world, not in our leaders, but in Christ. He wants us to find our rest in Christ at all times. In the days of the Reformation, our forefathers found that to be immensely important. During the Middle Ages, the works of mere men were thought to have an essential role in people's justification, being made right with God. But our forefathers, informed by God's word, they said absolutely not. Only Christ, only his works could justify us and give us peace. And any works we do, all they can do is, is smear us, defile us with the ugliness of our sin. So the reformers urged people, embrace the Sabbath day. Embrace the Sabbath day as a sign of your faith in this God who saves you. Embrace the Sabbath day as a confession that you trust Jesus to give you eternal rest. Embrace the Sabbath day praying that God will use it to deepen your rest in Him in all of life. That's the confession they gave us in Lord's Day 38, which tells us, first of all, that it's important that we engage in the weekly day of Sabbath, that we worship together with God's people, but also the Sabbath command teaches us that every day of my life, I must rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. So brothers and sisters, for us today, the Sabbath is essential. It's necessary for our physical and spiritual well-being. We're built to need that regular rest, but we need it for more than that. The Sabbath is a call to faith. The Sabbath is an opportunity to grow our faith. The Sabbath urges us to renew our vow to rest in Christ alone. The Sabbath is an ongoing offer of rest through faith in Christ. And that brings us to our final section, verses 9 through 11. Here we see the climax of the Apostle's Sabbath argument, and in it we hear this strong encouragement of a Sabbath embrace. He begins just a bit by repeating himself. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. In other words, 
The rest that was offered to Israel out in the wilderness, which they rejected through unbelief, that wasn't a one-time offer. That wasn't something that expired back then that leaves us with no hope. It's still available. The opportunity has not irrevocably passed. Moreover, those who enter their rest, it's really God's rest into which they enter. For, for he who has ent- uh, entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. On the original Sabbath, God rested from his creative works, and so do we, his children, when we enter the Sabbath rest. What's that look like? What's that mean, to rest from our works? Well, here's the thing. Every one of us in our sin is tempted to rely in ourselves. We're always tempted to slide back into that, just like a little toddler. I can do it myself. We can't. And so, we are called to continually cleanse ourselves of that self-reliance, that self-focus. If we would have true rest, we must set aside from us those works that we are tempted to rely on and also those sins that we're tempted to allow to identify us. How easily that comes to us in a world that takes pride in its sin. Pretty soon we're identifying ourselves by the sins that characterize us, by the faults that defile us. In our Sabbath rest, we remember that we rest in Christ and we do not identify ourselves by our sins. We identify ourselves as disciples of Christ. We identify ourselves as those who have died on the cross with Jesus and have been risen up to a resurrection life. That's where rest is found. That is where hope and life eternal are to be located. For the first readers of Hebrews, this was a call to reject the temptation to turn back to the ceremonial law. They were tempted to do that. They had pressure on every side. But the apostle warns them, you must not. As long as you rest in yourself, you can have no part in Christ. And and if you have no part in Christ, you have no true rest. The only way to have true rest, to have a, a Sabbath hope, is to set aside your labors, to set aside your hope in yourself, and to rest in Christ. And so it was in the age of the Reformation. The leaders of the Reformation urged the people to embrace God's Sabbath rest, both the weekly work and worship cycle, but also, more importantly, in their ultimate uh, reliance. That was precisely the opposite of what the Roman Catholic Church of the age taught, and of today. They called the people to to rely vigorously on their own works. They instituted the practice of penance to essentially keep people addicted to their own works. They even called on folks to, to celebrate masses and pay for the celebration of masses so as to, by their own works and their own merits, seek to help save their relatives who've died. But the reformers knew, and, and we must know today, There is true rest only where there is true Sabbath. Only when we rest from our works, only when we trust in Jesus for all that we need. Thus the strong encouragement of verse 11. There's an urgency in that verse. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. This is important. This is essential. This is the most important thing to which we can commit ourselves. 
Because the alternative is falling like Israel did, falling in the wilderness, separated from God's blessing, falling in unbelief because we refuse to rest in Christ, falling in judgment by the God whom we've rejected. That's the alternative. Surely there can be no good and there can be no rest for those who rest in themselves. So our forefathers in the Reformation, they recognized that urgency. And therefore they begged and they pleaded, preaching boldly that we must have faith in Jesus. We must find our rest in Him. Only in Him is their forgiveness. Only in Him is their righteousness. Only in Him is their rest. And folks, we must not fail to heed that call ourselves. Children, recognize that today is the day that you get serious about your rest. Maybe you think, I'm too young to worry about that. You're not. Today is the day God has given you, and today is the day He calls you to rest in Jesus. Not tomorrow, not when you're 16, not when you're 20, not when you're married or old, but today. He calls you to to rest in Him, to trust in Him, to look to no one else for the life that you need. Resting in Him means simply that, that... When you die and stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? You say, because Jesus died for me. Because I trust him. And it means that no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're facing, you look to him and you have confidence. He's got it in control. It's not about what I do, it's about what he has done. And then we live our lives, we make our decisions, we do our work trusting that he will use it all. We must rest in Christ or we have no rest at all. Brothers and sisters, God gave us, God employs the Sabbath to offer his people true rest. So when you wake up on the Sabbath morning, on Sunday, think on what it really means. It doesn't, it mustn't just mean meh, a day out of the ordinary, something a little different. It must not mean a day to watch sports, a day for me. No, it must mean a day to remember where our rest is found and to remind one another where our rest is found, and to celebrate together the one in whom our rest is found, Jesus Christ, that we might enter the rest of the week fully, fully wrapped up in that Sabbath rest. May God fill us with an appreciation for what he has done in Christ, for the rest that he has given us, and may he strengthen our faith each Sabbath day when we gather together. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for inspiring within our forefathers in the age of the Reformation an appreciation for the Sabbath and for all that it proclaims to us, for all that he calls out to us. Lord, we ask that you would use the Sabbath powerfully in us to strengthen our faith and to cleanse us of self-centered works. And Lord, we ask that you would bless your church with a growing appreciation for a growing love for the rest that is found in Christ. 
In his name we pray it, amen.